uh, if you remember, if you were here, uh, last Sunday morning I brought some thoughts from Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, which I'm going to read again, which says there, um, Father, this is the prayer of Jesus, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. <coughs> Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Last week we looked at what it meant when Jesus said about the cup, and we realized that the cup that he was speaking about was the cup of suffering that he was about to take and to drink from as he went to Calvary for you and for me. And so I uh, finished off last week by saying my points were this from the cup to the crown, from torment to triumph, from victim to victor. And the story continues. I concluded last week with this while the cup of the wrath of God was being poured out upon the, upon the dying Saviour something else was simultaneously taking place while our sin having been placed upon his shoulders was being punished Satan was getting a good hiding as well he was truly being thrashed death was about to be defeated and heaven's door was going to be flung open wide for all who are willing to believe and enter. The victim with the cup was about to become the victor with the crown. On the one hand we see pain, we see sorrow, we see suffering, we see death and what at first seemed to be defeat and failure. But on the other hand, Thanks be to God, and because of our Saviour's obedience and willingness to say, not my will, but yours be done, we see the wrath of God being satisfied, and it led to a successful mission and to victory. And so we come to the second part, and tonight we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and just verses 55 to 57. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before the cross and in Gethsemane, at the betrayal, at the arrest and the denial of Jesus, and those dreadful hours that followed on from there, I can see Satan rubbing his hands with glee. And as he's rubbing his hands, he's saying, I've got it. I've got it. And perhaps Satan was thinking back to that time in the wilderness. When Jesus was led into the wilderness, and we read there in Luke chapter 4, that the, Satan went and began to tempt Jesus. He was doing all that he could to stop Jesus from being the man who would do what God wanted him to do. And he failed to get him. He failed. But here, as he saw what was going on in the garden with everything else, I can imagine Satan saying, I've got it. This time, yes, I've been successful. 
But then at the cross with Jesus crying out those words, it is finished, I can see Satan now scratching his head. And at the same time, he's shaking in his boots. And he's thinking to himself, what on earth is going on here? One point, I've got him. But now he's saying, what's going on here? But then we move on a couple of days later. And outside the empty tomb, I see Satan stamping his feet. He's full of rage. He's shouting out, I thought he was finished with. But it's not. It's me. I'm finished with. I'm done. Because Christ had got the victory. And so the story continues. It moves from the son's cup of suffering to the Saviour's crown of splendour. Low in the grave he lay. I mentioned it this morning. Jesus my Saviour, waiting the coming day. Jesus my Lord. See, in the garden when the disciples fell asleep, Judas betrayed him, and later as Peter denied him, and they all fled away, and as we see the scene in the high priest's house, then in the palace, and at Golgotha with all that was going on, from the human point of view, everything seemed to be all going wrong. How could this good man, how could this miracle worker who healed the sick and raised the dead be dying like this? But everything was working out perfectly from God's point of view. And why? It was all because of Christ's act of willing obedience in taking the cup and drinking it right through to the very last drop. And this is what's recorded in Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 to 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You've seen it, you've watched it, you've heard it. But then it goes on to say, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let's understand again how vitally important the response that Jesus made was when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, if Jesus had shrunk back and had refused to take the cup and to drink from it, the plan and the purposes of God would have gone pear-shaped. There's no doubt about it. It would have all gone pear-shaped. There would have been no cross. There would have been no atonement. There would have been no resurrection. And we tonight would have all men been most miserable. We would still be without hope. We would still be without forgiveness. We would be without salvation. And we ourselves would be facing the cup of the wine of the wrath of God ourselves. 
But going back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, the story continued. And it says there, after it says that you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, it goes on to say, but God raised him up. That's the good news. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so after drinking the cup of the wrath of God, Jesus dies as a victim of a cruel Roman execution upon a cross. And John records for us in chapter 19 of his gospel that he was dead. There was no doubt about it. Jesus had died. And it says there, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They made sure he was dead. And it doesn't matter what reasons men and women come up today to try to explain that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. The evidence is there. He died. For when the soldiers who were to make sure that he was dead saw that he was dead, they did not break his legs. And the very same chapter also records his funeral for us. It says there, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Scripture is clear. He died and he was buried. And we read in Matthew's account, which we heard about this morning, Matthew 27 verses 62 to 66, that we are informed that the Pharisees and chief priests are now concerned that this man who they now put to death might actually have been speaking the truth. And so they're worried because they remember that he said, after three days, I will rise. So we discover now that they've got to do something about it. And so they double up security to guard the tomb. And you can imagine them scurrying around, frantically ensuring there was absolutely no way that this man was going to get out of the tomb. But death could not hold him. That's the good news. Death could not hold him. And any amount of security and any amount of sealing would not stop him. They could have dumped as many hundreds of tons of rock outside the tomb. In today's terms we could say they could have got as many hundreds of concrete lorries they could to dump the concrete against the tomb. And it would have made no difference. And why? Because the victim was going to rise 
as the victor. The cup was going to be replaced with a crown and the torment was going to be replaced with triumph. And scripture says, and the earth shook as an angel came down from heaven and rolled the stone away from the tomb and then sat down upon it. And then came the good news. He's not here. Who's not here? Jesus. Well, why is he not here? Well, because he has risen. Hallelujah. The tomb was empty. So vainly they watch his bed. Jesus, my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead. Jesus, my Lord. Death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Jesus, or oh Christ, arose. Jesus is alive. Amen. He's alive and he wears a crown. And it's no longer a crown of thorns, but a crown of glory. He wears the victor's crown. He triumphed. Hallelujah. He triumphed in the garden. He triumphed on the cross. He triumphed in the tomb. He lives in triumph for his victory is an eternal victory. His triumph is an endless triumph. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, he ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Sinners whose love can ne'er forget the wormwood and the gall, go spread your trophies at his feet and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Crown him, ye martyrs of your God, who from his altar call extol the stem of Jesse's rod and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall, we'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Let's crown him. Let's crown him Lord of all. Just a few scriptures here in Ephesians 1, 19, 8 to 23, we read this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And not only from when he raised him from the dead, but seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in whole he wears the crown the victor's crown revelations 1 17 to 18 says this fear not I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. But behold, I am alive, not just for a few more weeks, few more months, or a few more years, but I am alive forevermore. 
And this is the good news Jesus went on to say. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Satan, you've lost. You're defeated. Jesus has won. And of course, we must include those wonderful verses from Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's pointing back to where we started. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then it goes on to say, therefore, because of his obedience, because of his going to the cross, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Amen. to the glory of God the Father. And finally tonight, we need to grasp hold of the depth and the richness of his victorious triumph. See, it wasn't just an action in which God just wanted to show Satan who was in control. It wasn't just to defeat death. It wasn't just a means for presenting Christ with the victor's crown and with a position of authority above anybody and everything else. It was to redeem mankind. It was to redeem you. And it was to redeem me. And so the Lord Jesus took the cup, not only to triumph over everything that he did triumph over, but that you and I, can share in that triumph with him. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He conquered sin so that we may be delivered from our sin. And he defeated death so that we may attain to the resurrection of a new life. His triumph means that we can also know triumph. Returning to 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Or we can turn it into some different words. Who causes us to triumph through our Lord Jesus Christ. And one day the angel of the Lord will descend again. Not to remove the stone over that tomb. But to remove the stones over our tombs. Should we already be dead? And there's going to be a trumpet blast of triumph. And the dead in Christ will be raised. And those who are alive are going to be caught up. So that together we may be with the Lord. Crown him with many crowns. 
the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of peace, whose power a scepter sways, from pole to pole that wars may cease, and all be prayer and praise. His reign shall know no end, and round his pierced feet, fair flowers of paradise extend, their fragrance ever sweet. Crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands and side, those wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. All hail, Redeemer hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. This is our King. This is our King. The one who was willing to take the cup and drink to the very last drop. And so we see from the cup to the crown. And this is our Jesus. I want us to conclude with a song that will come on the video. Thank you. And it's simply see from the hill of Calvary. And as you see the words and hear the words, let's just ponder again what Jesus has done for each one of us so we can share in his victory. Thank you.